From CPR News, this is Colorado Matters. There is no longer a federal right to abortion. The U.S. Supreme Court finding Roe v. Wade was, quote, egregiously wrong. In Colorado, lawmakers worked this year to ensure access. Colorado has actually been fairly liberal on abortion historically. Then, what's often missing in the discussion about unintended pregnancies? Sometimes in this kind of polarized debate, people assume that if you're not for abortion, that we only care about the babies. And that's just not true at all. Unplanned pregnancy is part of our shared humanity. How do we address it in a more holistic way? And why advocates say restricting abortion access continues this nation's long legacy of imposing, quote, reproductive oppression on black people. Support for Colorado Public Radio comes in all shapes and sizes. You might give monthly as an Evergreen member or contribute during fund drives. Maybe you donated your car or gave a gift of stock. For all the ways you support CPR, thank you so much. Your generosity is deeply appreciated. Thank you for bringing trustworthy news and timeless music to listeners across Colorado. Explore all the ways to give at CPR.org. Click on Support CPR. This is Colorado Matters from CPR News and KRCC. I'm Ryan Warner. The U.S. Supreme Court ruled this morning that, quote, the Constitution does not confer a right to abortion. It follows that the states may regulate abortion for legitimate reasons. So we will begin with the picture here in Colorado. Benta Berkland is on our public affairs team. Hi, Benta. Hi, Ryan. So I think we should make it clear that Colorado law allows abortion regardless of the U.S. Supreme Court decision. Yes, that's right. And this year, Democratic state lawmakers actually went a step further and passed a law that explicitly states women in Colorado have a right to an abortion. So Democrats enshrined what was the practice already in Colorado into state law. Governor Jared Polis signed that bill in April. Was that all in anticipation of a Supreme Court ruling? Yes, it was. The The Reproductive Health Equity Act, that's what it's called, was in the works for quite a while. And supporters of abortion access started talking about this policy publicly last December. And that was on the day the high court heard arguments in the Mississippi case. Mm. Colorado has actually been fairly liberal on abortion historically. So Colorado is one of only a handful of states in the country that doesn't have any restriction on how late in a pregnancy a woman can get an abortion. And there are no required waiting periods or anything like that. The Colorado Constitution does ban state funding for the procedure. But backers of this bill said it was time to go further and do something to proactively support abortion access in Colorado. Okay, and so what does this Reproductive Health Equity Act, again, which is now law, what does it say exactly? It says people have the right to access abortion and contraception and that local governments in Colorado can't do anything to restrict those rights. Okay, so if a community wanted to step forward and say abortions are illegal in this town, they can't do that. Exactly. And and we do have local control on a lot of other policy issues, but not in this case. And it also says that fertilized eggs, embryos, fetuses have no legal standing under the law. So in other words, there can't be personhood. But this is still just a state law, so it was passed by a simple majority in the legislature. 
And it can be undone by lawmakers if power changes at the state house. Hmm. And there was some discussion about enshrining abortion access into the state constitution this fall. Uh, but abortion rights supporters say they intend to now put an amendment on the ballot in 2024. So that'll be the presidential election year. And to get something into the state constitution to change that, it requires a 55 percent of the vote. OK, meaning that if it lands there, it is also harder to undo. Right. Uh-huh. And, and advocates there also want to allow state funding for the procedure. So that would be removing that ban that already exists in the state constitution. And so that would mean, for instance, that if you were a state worker under a state health plan, uh, that could potentially cover abortion access, which is not true now. Right. And state funding and grants could go out to organizations that provide these procedures. Bente, you and the public affairs team have been looking into the history of abortion in the state. Uh, You hinted at this earlier by saying that Colorado has tended to be liberal in this regard. What did you learn as you dug into the history? Well, Colorado was the first state in the country to loosen abortion restrictions. And so this was in the late 1960s. Oh, before Roe v. Wade. Yes, yes. And the state passed a law allowing very limited access to abortion in certain instances. And what's interesting to note here is this was a bipartisan bill at the time. So because the politics of abortion for a pretty long period weren't party line. It wasn't as partisan the way it is now. That is kind of hard to believe. (laughs) But not only was Colorado one of the first states with any kind of legalized abortion, Colorado was also the birthplace of a powerful strand of the modern anti-abortion movement. Well, tell us about that. So in 2008, a young conservative law student got a measure on the ballot that attempted to outlaw abortion not by focusing on the procedure, but by giving a developing pregnancy all the rights of a person. Oh, that's the personhood idea. Yes. So that was from the moment of conception. There'd be the same legal rights as as every other person. So that personhood amendment failed. Subsequent efforts have also failed by pretty wide margins. But I will note that the woman behind that effort, and at the time, back in 2008, she was a political newcomer. No one really knew who she was. And she is now the head of the Colorado Republican Party. And that's Christy Burton-Brown. I remember interviewing her that first go-round with personhood. I mean, the idea there is that approach might not even invoke the word abortion in the language. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. But obviously, with that in mind. Um, okay, you mentioned those previous attempts at personhood have failed in Colorado. Will there be efforts to try that again? There is an effort underway. There is a measure this year. It's been approved to collect signatures, to put it on the ballot this fall. So we'll see if they collect enough signatures. But that would basically ban abortion at any stage of pregnancy. And whether or not that gets on the ballot, the amendment protecting abortion access, that will likely go to voters two years from now. So I think Colorado voters are very far from being done with this issue and weighing in on this issue. And certainly conservatives have expressed very clearly they do not want Colorado to be a, quote, safe haven for abortion in this region. And they will work hard to try to undo Democratic efforts to expand and further enshrine abortion access. Yeah, when you look at the map, Colorado would be something of an island in having protected abortion in the region. And there are those from abortion access groups who say they are already seeing folks coming in from other states where there has been a crackdown on abortion. Penta, thank you so much. A story that will no doubt continue to unfold. Thanks, Ryan. 
CPR public affairs reporter Benta Berkland. Colorado's Governor Jared Polis has released a statement. It reads in part, Coloradans do not want politicians making their health care decisions. In Colorado, we will continue to choose freedom and we stand against government control over our bodies. Polis is up for re-election this year, no doubt after today's Dobbs decision. This issue will be elevated in the midterms. Okay, Colorado reaction from both sides of the abortion debate after a break. This is Colorado Matters from CPR News. Ballots are out for this year's primary election in Colorado, and nearly everyone gets to participate. Republicans, Democrats, unaffiliated. Who's running? What are the issues? How do you cast your vote? I'm Megan Verlee from the CPR Newsroom. Find out what you need to know to fill out your ballot online at CPR.org. And on Tuesday, hear full coverage of the primary here on CPR News and on the Colorado Public Radio app. Let's get reaction to the abortion ruling now from someone who'd longed hoped for this outcome. Krista Kafer is a columnist for the Denver Post and affiliate faculty at Regis University. She describes herself as center-right. Krista, welcome to the program. It's great to be here, Ryan. What stands out for you about this decision? I've no, I know you've had a chance to read some of it. It's an incredibly thoughtful decision. And I love it's the one of the last lines of the sort of beginning part of the decision saying that abortion is a profound moral consideration, I paraphrase, that states and people, the people themselves have a right to grapple with. And so you look at um, you look at the Mississippi law, for example, banning abortions after 15 weeks. At 15 weeks, a child has hands and feet and legs and arms and a heartbeat. Um, does, do the people of that state have the right to protect that child? Yes, they do. And so the decision says, and what I hear you saying, is that Roe v. Wade denied states and the people in those states the ability to grapple with that. Exactly. And if you look at um, in Europe, for example, and Europe, in most countries, abortion is banned after the first trimester. Um, those are those decisions are arrived at democratically and through that give and take. And so I think we need that here. We need the ability to grapple with those decisions on a state-by-state basis and to consider things like, should a child with Down syndrome, should that, should that life be protected? Should a child um, uh, in the later part of pregnancy, uh, when they feel great, great pain during abortion, should that child's life be protected? How do we protect uh, women? How do, you know, do we allow women to see ultrasounds, for example, before an abortion so that they can see the life of their child and be able to make an informed decision? These are the things that our state, any state, will be able to grapple with without having a, a, a kind of an artificial limit put on. And that decision, Roe versus Wade, even, even friends of mine who support abortion say this is a really poorly grafted decision. Um, I was happy to see that Plessy, uh, another poorly put together decision that denies human rights, that it's actually mentioned in the decision. Um, and Plessy, of course, thank goodness. And now Roe has been struck down. And now states can grapple with this human rights decision and to be able to protect human rights, in this case, the life of that child. 
from abortion is is something I'm so glad we're, we're going to be able to do. And Colorado has indeed grappled yes. m- many times with the question of abortion, of personhood, mm-hmm. and uh, any effort to restrict abortion or to grant personhood uh, has failed. Yeah. Uh, so do you, do you see this as settled in Colorado? Oh, not at all. Um, so I think about, when I think about the personhood amendments, I see these as deeply imprudent in the sense that if you had tried to run the Civil Rights Act right after the Civil War, right after the 13th Amendment had been adopted, it would have been shot down and crushed. And it may have even led to a backlash against the good work that was being done. And that's how I see personhood. You can't come in with something um, like that and not have a reaction. Where I think we can work with folks is in preserving, for example, Colorado's law that requires parents to know about minors, um, the the prohibition against prohibition against funding abortion, for example, are two Colorado laws that are broadly supported. Can we at some point uh, do another late term abortion ban um, and protect those lives of children who would be viable outside of the womb? Can we protect children with disabilities? Uh, from being aborted and and, and say so that those lives matter. I think those are doable in this state. And that's a conversation that you think begins today? Yeah, I think it begins today. I also think that we um, can continue our efforts not only to make the case for the humanity of the unborn, whether it's through ultrasound images, through uh, ultrasounds, through conversations, um, continue to provide support for women facing a, a, a difficult pregnancy through pregnancy centers and other programs, both public and private, to say, we're here for you. I want to offer just a quick fact check. Uh, our uh, quick search has revealed that uh, in Europe, uh, there are indeed abortions generally allowed after the first trimester. Uh, so you may have had that wrong. Now, according to the CDC, the maternal mortality rate in 2020 was uh, just about 24 deaths per 100,000 births. It is more than twice that in the black community, 55 deaths per 100,000. Many would argue that for those whose babies survive childbirth, support for parents is woefully lacking in this country. Mm-hmm. Speak to me about the maternal mortality rate in this country, which I think we can agree is uh, just something that ought to be changed, ought to be improved, and the care for women uh, or the lack of it in this country uh, and for people who give birth. And I think this is a bigger issue. You think about the mortality rates among African-Americans over COVID, that there was a... um, a difference there as well. The care that they were getting, the mortality rate was higher among people of color. And so how do we improve health care outcomes for moms, for babies, for people who are pregnant, for people who um, have been infected with uh, COVID, for example? How do we, how do we, what do we need to do to make sure that we have more equitable outcomes in healthcare across the board is something that is super important. But is it is it too late to be asking that question after today's Supreme Court decision? No, Sh- I think, shouldn't that have been addressed long before? I, I think people have been aware of this. I mean that there is a a difference in child mortality, a, ch- a difference in um, maternal health, a difference in uh, healthcare outcomes generally, and there are people working on it. 
Thanks for being with us. Thank That's you, Ryan. Denver Post Weekly columnist Krista Kafer reflecting on today's abortion decision from the Supreme Court. Kafer also teaches communications and political science at Regis University. So today's ruling is a generational setback for groups that fight to preserve abortion access, including cobalt advocates here in Colorado. Karen Middleton is the nonprofit's executive director. Karen, thank you for being with us. Thank you, Ryan. Good morning. What stands out to you from this ruling? Uh, And perhaps that's in the the dissents as well. I mean, this ruling is we knew it was coming, but it's still hard to read. And I think uh, the dissent included uh, really speaking to the loss of rights uh, that had been in place for so many years uh, for people who needed access to abortion care. I'm also extremely troubled by the Thomas uh, dissent, which includes opening up other settled law that protects the rights of LGBTQIA people um, and uh and even going all the way back to Griswold. So we're pretty distressed by it today. The reference there is that the so-called right to privacy or protections, I think, related to the 14th Amendment uh, extend beyond abortion and potentially to other cases. Um, So your organization dates back to before Roe v. Wade, the late 1960s, uh, when Colorado was the first state to loosen restrictions on abortion. Put this ruling into some context for us. Where does it leave the reproductive rights movement? Well, for Colorado, uh, we are, in fact, better than we have been, given the fact that we uh, saw the Reproductive Health Equity Act signed into law in April. Um, When you look back to the fact that we were able to decriminalize abortion and provide care in the late 60s going into the 70s prior to Roe v. Wade, um, we are... Uh, I think we're as prepared um, in the state as we can be to be a resource now for all of the folks that may need to come here. There's a lot of talk about the 26 states that are outright uh, disallowing or banning abortion as a result of this court decision. And, you know, I've got sort of two focus points. One is to continue to press on the policy, but also to really help anyone who needs help. I really worry about the sense of hopelessness or panic someone may be feeling who needed care, someone who might have been sitting in a Texas abortion clinic waiting room this morning and was told they had to go home. Um, So we're um, pretty troubled by that. We heard earlier from CPR's Benta Birkeland, and she explained that groups, including yours, will work to protect abortion in the state constitution, could be with a ballot measure in 2024. Uh, is there a part of you that wishes that had been on the ballot earlier? You know, no. no. Um, I don't think we were ready. I don't think that Colorado voters have really had time to think about what, what we need to do. One is enshrining this in the Constitution, and the other is overturning the state funding ban that was passed in 1984. I think Colorado needs to go further in 2024, and we'll have two years to see what the outcome of today's decision really has and how it impacts the lives of of Coloradans and people from across the country. So I'm comfortable with the timeline that we've proposed and that we're setting forward on. You know, we heard uh, just moments ago from Krista Kafer, the columnist and uh, adjunct faculty at Regis, uh, who sees this as an opportunity to start uh, floating proposals that at least narrow uh, when abortions might be available. So is, is that a fight and a debate that you are now preparing for? 
Of course, we're prepared every election cycle for ballot measures that may come forward, but but let's be crystal clear. We are a state that rejected um, a very specific ban on abortion after 22 weeks. Um, Colorado voters had that conversation. Uh, the When we first polled on it, it was a fairly close conversation. And when they voted, um, it was defeated uh, at 59%. So I think voters you know, as you entertained earlier in the call was uh, in the conversation that uh, we've been talking about personhood. We've been talking about abortion bans at the ballot box and with voters. We started talking about personhood in 2008. And now we are at a point where folks have said no and rejected those restrictions time and time again. Um, And we're one of the few states where that conversation about abortion has been pretty explicit and voters have continued to say government should not be in this space. And I believe they will continue to say that as we move forward. Is Colorado prepared for the potential influx of those seeking abortions? Uh, Because we are now something of a regional island. That is a difficult question to answer. I would say we are as prepared as we can be, and we will do everything in our power to serve as many people as possible. Uh, But the reality is we don't really know what what the impact will look like as we move forward. I can tell you in the last two to three weeks, we were receiving 50% of the requests for care coming in from out of state. Um, That's a big increase. We've seen 50% now um, in an average week from callers, uh, people needing help and needing support coming to Colorado. So I expect we will see an influx of folks. And I think we will do everything we can to meet that need. I'm sure there is an upper limit, but I also believe uh, with some tenacity and coordination, we might be able to increase capacity here in the state fairly quickly. Okay, let me unpack just a bit of what you've said there. So now you're saying half of the calls that your group receives Uh, related to seeking abortion services. Half of those now are from folks out of state? Correct. That's just recent weeks. It doesn't aggregate out to that high, but we are seeing a very marked increase from out-of-state folks right now. All right. Uh, And do you believe, just briefly, that this now becomes a major influencer in the midterm elections? Absolutely. Uh, Because The actions by the U.S. Senate in protecting the Women's Health Protection Act, the actions by the U.S. Senate in contemplating um, a more radical proposal, but one that I'm interested in is do we figure out how to expand the Supreme Court um, and what else can we do to make sure that the U.S. Congress and the um, U.S. Senate um, begin to move back to um, protecting reproductive rights and not losing ground. So I think that's very important. And I think state elections will be critically important as well. Karen Middleton leads Cobalt, whose mission is to advance abortion access and reproductive rights. And Colorado Matters continues in the next half hour with two women who say their role begins when someone who's unexpectedly pregnant decides to have the baby. And later, how this ruling could disproportionately affect people of color. I'm Ryan Warner, and you're with CPR News and KRCC. ¿Quién somos nosotras? Who are we? During our lunch break, we'd be sitting outside like peeling mangoes and eating them fresh. And then I'd go inside to like dance these Afro-Brazilian, Afro-Caribbean style movements. I think that's when I most felt myself. 
I'm May Ortega, and CPR's new podcast is all about being Latinx, Hispanic, Chicana, and the beautiful things that make us who we are. Look for Quien Are We everywhere you listen. This is Colorado Matters from CPR News and KRSCC. I'm Ryan Warner. Sometimes lost in the abortion debate are those who choose to move forward with unintended pregnancies. They may be young or poor or feel ill-equipped to parent. Now, two groups that help and house underprivileged pregnant people and their families. These groups aren't political organizations. In fact, when we spoke with them recently, they didn't want to comment on the Supreme Court although they have been following the proceedings with interest. Lisa Schmitz is executive director of Modern Aphelius in Colorado Springs. Schmitz's group is in the process of building a 10-bedroom home for pregnant people. Linda Sacamano is with Alternatives Pregnancy Center in Englewood. They spoke with my colleague Andrea Dukakis. Welcome to you both. Thank you. It's great to be here. Thank you. Linda, give me a sense of the women you serve. We serve women from all socioeconomic backgrounds, all ethnicities, women that are experiencing an unplanned pregnancy and the trauma or confusion that goes with that. And they're looking for a place to be helped, a place to process their decision making, and also the medical services that we provide at no cost to any of our clients or patients. And so we welcome anyone who walks through our doors and uh, serve them with care, compassion, always. It's our motto. And when you say trauma or confusion, what do you mean? What are these women going through? Really a variety of complex circumstances. And today it seems to be getting more and more complex, whether it's housing insecurity, relationship insecurity. uh, They're in the process of completing their education. There's so many experiences that we're at in life that maybe a pregnancy is not part of our plans. And so when we find ourselves in that circumstance, it, it can be very traumatic because when maybe you can think to a time you've experienced something that you weren't expecting and it feels very overwhelming. And so we want to take time to help her process through the decision making, be educated, understand what's going on in her body, and then make an informed decision about her pregnancy. So you're counseling them, and are you also providing support in other ways? We do counsel. We do offer medical services. It's a pregnancy test. Uh, A positive pregnancy test is a medical indication for an ultrasound. We provide the ultrasound at no cost. So she can actually see what's going on inside of her own body and understand for herself, not just what someone else is telling her, but she can see for herself. And then we do offer um, ongoing support through the pregnancy. We offer mama mentoring, which means that she can have a mentor to walk alongside her through the pregnancy up to one year after baby is born. It's education on a variety of topics as well as relationship because really that's where it's at is building relationship with our clients and their patients so they know they're not alone in this process. And they can go from a place of confusion, feeling overwhelmed, to one of thriving and flourishing in the decision that they've made. 
To be clear, do you discourage women from choosing abortions? We are not an abortion provider, and we don't refer for abortion. And our belief is that every human life is valuable and precious. And so we want her to understand we are never confusing about that. We're very clear up front that we're not abortion providers. And yet we also know that it is a legal option. And so we educate. We want her to know if she makes that choice, what's going to happen with her body. And so we have an educational handout. We have an adoption resources packet. So maybe she wants to make a, a beautiful choice of adoption Or maybe she wants to understand how could she parent? What would that look like? What is her support network that could help her in a parenting decision? And we walk through that decision-making process with her. Um, She's welcome to come back as many times as she wants to and uh, feel empowered to make that decision. In general, is there enough support out there for women who decide they want an alternative to abortion? That's a great question. And I believe the answer is not really. Um, You know, our our economy today is difficult. Uh, Again, I mentioned the complexity of circumstances that women find themselves in. And um, maybe the partner or the father of the baby does not want to have the baby, but she does. And so there's really a lot of ways that we could improve the resources available to women who want to carry their pregnancy to term, who don't want to have to make that choice between the life of their unborn and maybe their their schooling, you know. So we have someone who knows about Title IX and their rights on campus. And there's a lot of other resources that are needed, child care, uh, paid maternity leave, things like that that would really help a woman thrive in her decision to carry her pregnancy to term. Lisa Schmidt, you're in the process of building a home for these women. You had a sister who was a teen mom. What kinds of challenges did she face? Well, we were from a family who were able to help my sister. She was able to live with us when she was first pregnant and give birth to her baby until she was able to get on her own. And um, here in the Springs, we have a, a pretty large and growing homeless population and a lot of support for homeless, but we just found that there wasn't particularly uh, a home or a safe, dignified place for women to go who needed housing. And um, not just based on my sister's experience, but based on those that we encounter, um, as Linda even mentioned, you know, one of the the challenges a woman might face when she's facing an unintended or unexpected pregnancy is that she may not have housing in the first place or may lose her housing if Um, under a variety of circumstances. And so we know that there's two to three dozen women a year, at least from our needs assessment, who don't have a dignified place to go to live. And so we are building a a dignified home where they can um, come and have that safe, dignified place to live, but also the support and love around her to help her and support her now that she has made that choice to carry her baby to term. And that two to three dozen number is for Colorado Springs, so we can imagine there's more of a need elsewhere. Um, And just to understand, these women aren't deciding whether or not to go through with a pregnancy. They've already decided to have the baby. Right. Typically, by the time they come to our attention or come to our home, they have already made that choice. And they are just looking for the additional support and housing or they've lost their housing and and want to move forward with people surrounding them who can walk along their path and help them meet the goals, the goals of their own choosing to be able to move forward and uh, have a stable life for themselves and their children. How long can the women live there? 
They can live anytime throughout their pregnancy, so whether they've just had their pregnancy test and confirmed their pregnancy or they're about to deliver, so up to the nine months of pregnancy, and then they can stay for uh, up to eight months after the baby is born. But then we do have graduate support as well, so a lot of support while they're living there, mentors as well, just like uh, at Alternatives, as Linda mentioned. But they're not just um, gone once they're done after their eight months. They can continue to receive support from us and their children can as well. I imagine there's probably a need for jobs and educational support. Do you offer that too? Yes, absolutely. So we are a working program. So as soon as they come in our door, we're working with them to help them set their goals and decide, um, you know, are they trying to finish their high school education, uh, additional college education, or just do more career assessment to find positions that are going to be more satisfying and more stable for them going forward. So we assist with all of that from um, and even will have and find resources in the community if they need tuition assistance or job placement or whatever we can do to help um, them meet their goals. Doesn't some of this support need to be really long-term, not just a few years, but even more than that? Well, I think so with a, with a lot of things in life, but this gives them a good up to 17 months to get that uh, great solid foundation established. And then, you know, we're working from the time they come in the door to make plans for what is going to help them have that stable future and to connect with the resources that they need so that they're not on their own. And then again, we don't just abandon them once they're gone. We we continue to be their support and their friends and their 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 cheerleaders as they move forward. Just like all of us in life, we need, you know, constant um, you know, continuing to learn and to grow in, in whatever our goals are and we want to make sure that they have that as well. I want to ask you both this question What's missing from the public conversation around unintended pregnancies? Linda, why don't you start out? What's really missing and and what gets overlooked is the woman's heart. Um, She's experiencing something that in a place she didn't want to find herself. And so how do we help her sort through that? And it's not black and white. It's not so simple. We can all say, well, this is what she should do. This is what she shouldn't do. But again, like with any crisis in life, until you're facing it, you don't know what you would do. So the awareness that there's organizations like Alternatives out there for help and support is really what's missing. It becomes such a toxic conversation instead of one of love, compassion, and support. And there are many resources in the Denver area, too, uh, as Lisa was talking about in Colorado Springs. And so connecting people with those resources that will help them thrive long after baby is born um, is really important. And uh, keeping someone in the quadrant of flourishing, going from suffering to flourishing, is very important. Lisa, what's missing from this conversation or debate around unintended pregnancies? Well, I completely agree with what Linda just said, and I would say there are probably two other things. And one of them is that um, I think people forget. We know that there, you know, people people tend to have a label of pro-life or pro-choice, but I think sometimes people forget that 
choosing to carry their baby to term is a very valid choice, and it's one that we want to support and affirm. And in fact, you know, the majority of families in our uh, Western world are single parent families. It may or may not be the ideal situation, but that's the reality of where we're living now. And and um, regardless of how a woman came to the circumstance of being in an unexpected pregnancy, um, really the woman and couple, regardless of how they came there, it is a choice to carry their baby to term. And we just want to come along and make sure that we are there to support them in that choice and give them the best opportunity that they can to meet their goals to have a solid and stable future. And then the second thing I would just say briefly is that, um, like our name means mother and child, I think sometimes that in this kind of polarized debate, people assume that if you're not for abortion, that we only care about the babies. And that's just not true at all. Just like Linda said, we see the women um, in their heart and their own dignity, and they're stronger and capable than I think society and a lot of people consider them to be. And so a lot of women end up choosing abortion because they feel like they have no other choice because they don't know of the resources that are available or the support or that there are people who are going to affirm that choice for life for their child and walk alongside them. So that's why we exist is to help not just the babies, but the mother and her child as well um, to know that that's a valid choice going forward. So do you think that if there were more support for these women, more would opt to have a child versus have an abortion? We think that that may, may be the case. That's why we felt called to to develop this house just because we were running into so many women in our various, those of us who founded us, some of us, I was working in transitional housing for single women. There are a lot of people working with the local pregnancy centers or other women um, or, or even shelters and finding women who are pregnant um, but felt like abortion might be their only choice because they didn't know they were they were going to live next. Linda, is that your hope? Yes, absolutely. And I was speaking with our client services team, and they were giving me some insight into the factors that um, lead to abortion. And there are many things that could be overcome. So if they had a place to turn where they didn't have housing insecurity, food insecurity, job, um, where their partner could be part of the equation. And we do invite the male to come into the equation if that's what she wants. And we offer him counseling as well. And so it's just like they feel like they don't know what to do. And the culture today is telling them, well, uh, just have an abortion. That's the simple thing. But what the culture is not talking about is that there's feelings and emotions that go along with that decision as well. And so for a woman to feel like she is truly supported in this decision, no matter what decision, we also offer counseling after abortion. So for a woman that does choose to terminate her pregnancy, we want her to live a whole and healthy life. We want to address all aspects of the person, her physical, social, emotional, mental, and spiritual well-being, so she can live a flourishing life. It strikes me that what you both are doing uh, to help women is a huge support, but it seems to be only a drop in the bucket when you think of how many women have the need. Where do you come up with more resources? Yeah, that is a good question. And I think that that's something maybe legislatively that could be considered. Um, you know, what work programs are available? What child care programs are available? How can our legislators help 
in that respect. And then, of course, the nonprofit sector is doing amazing work, and it's just connecting these women to the right organizations. Um, We're offering what we call a community navigator. So, again, when you're overwhelmed, sitting down with a, a big community resource guide and making these phone calls is very difficult. We help them with that. It's all building relationship. And so, yes, there is a lot of need. And how do we, as a society, unplanned pregnancy is part of our shared humanity. How do we address it in a more holistic way instead of just right, wrong, or abortion's the right way or, uh, or not? And so really looking at the whole person and how do we help the whole person? Lisa, is your sense that lawmakers are willing to put money to this? Well, I think the fact is that in our country, they have been doing that for quite some time. As as Linda said, it's, well, unexpected pregnancy is part of, of our shared experience, but single motherhood is a reality in our, our nation and much of the Western world as well. And so that is a part of the reason why we have welfare programs and so on. But I think that as Linda also mentioned, the nonprofit world is doing um, a tremendous amount of good and connecting people in the churches, connecting people with resources. Um, it's, you know, we don't want just to create an, a generation of people who rely on government for support. Our goal at our home is to help them to, to really find their own footing and move forward. And, and most of our connections tend to be in the, in the nonprofit world, other resources to do that. So it's probably a combination of, of government, but personal support. I think there's a lot of people who can come alongside these efforts um, without some of the polarizing labels of, you know, being pro-life or pro-choice or pro-abortion. This is just the reality of people with families, with a partner or not, trying to move forward in our complicated world today, and we can all come alongside them and um, and support in, in a variety of ways. In 2015, a gunman attacked a Planned Parenthood clinic in Colorado Springs. Three people died, eight were injured. Security is a continuing concern for clinics that offer abortions. Has security been an issue in your work? And uh, Lisa, have you been thinking about all of this in the lead up to this Supreme Court decision? Yes, well, you know, that terrible tragedy that you just mentioned in Colorado Springs is exactly that, a tragedy. I mean, um, anyone who says they're for life obviously is not thinking clearly to do such a horrific act, so we never condone any of that kind of violence. I think people don't hear about, however, all the violence that is often perpetrated against, you know, centers like ours or homes like ours or pregnancy centers who are trying to just give women options and give them that love and support that they need to affirm them in their own choice of, of what they've decided to do. And so, yes, there is a concern. There have been um, pregnancy centers and homes attacked throughout the country just in the recent leaked decision about Roe v. Wade. So, um, but we, we're trustful that people will do the right thing and we'll see that, you know, we're just a home of, of people trying to move forward with their goals and we're going to um, be prudent but, but not be afraid. Not much will actually change in Colorado since legal abortions are allowed under Colorado law. But do you think the demand for what you do might change with this ruling? Um, And is that something, Linda, that you're preparing for? 
It absolutely is. And um, we envision that Colorado will become a destination state for abortion. And so we want to make sure that women who are traveling here feel supported. Um, if they're not quite sure of their decision and they're looking for that safe, non-judgmental place to process their decision, we're here. So again, it's about awareness. How do people find us? How do they know that there's support out there? So yes, we do anticipate that um, the demand will increase in the state of Colorado, and we certainly have scaled our staffing to be ready for it. Lisa, do you expect more demand? We do, and um, we know that the demand already exists here, so we hope that well, we never hope that we have to be full, but we imagine that we might be full of moms from the local area. But we're very open to welcoming women from no matter wh- where they come from. We do also um, belong to an affiliation, as I mentioned, and there's uh, five other locations in the U.S., including a couple in, in Texas and in Miami, Cincinnati, Nebraska, and a few others under consideration, and the other homes like ours. So we'll make sure that people are connected wherever they're from. Um, And if we have room here, we, we will take whoever comes to us who needs help. Lisa, thanks so much. Thank you so much for having us. And Linda, thank you. Thank you. It was my pleasure. Linda Sacamano is with Alternatives Pregnancy Center in Englewood. Lisa Schmidt is executive director of Mater Filius in Colorado Springs. Abortion rights advocates say those from marginalized groups, especially the black community, will be adversely affected by the Supreme Court ruling more than any other racial or ethnic group. Soul to Soul Sisters is a Denver-based reproductive rights advocacy organization. It's been on the front lines of the fight to maintain abortion access. Some of its leadership testified recently during hearings for the Reproductive Health Equity Act, which was signed into state law in April. Talea Banks is voting rights coordinator for Soul to Soul Sisters. Talea, thanks for being with us. Thank you for having me. And what's going through your mind this morning? You know, there's a lot of different things going through my mind, a lot being that today is a monumental moment in the fundamental rights to access abortion and it being overturned on a federal level um, is going to impact mostly poor, black, indigenous, queer, trans people. And really, I'm thinking that we are fully aware that we've always been the creators of our own freedom. And today is calling our like deeper magic, our deeper hope forward um, to extend reproductive rights into community care. And it's really our time to hold space for our people because the abortions are not disappearing because they've banned it, but it's really us taking it into our own hands. Um, And I really want to resist the tension of silence and shame that comes with this decision. I want there to be, I don't want there to be shame for abortions because we're getting them. Um, Soul to Soul Sisters holds abortions as sacred decisions, and we still want to keep it in that space and hold it as a community for our people from all intersections. Uh, You talked about the disproportionality uh, of the effect of this ruling. I just want to say that a University of Colorado Boulder study found that banning abortion nationwide would lead to a 21% increase in the number of pregnancy-related deaths overall. So 21%. It found that there would be a 33% increase in the black community. Uh, Do you want to speak a bit more to that idea of disproportionality? Uh, What is some of what you base that on? 
Yeah, absolutely. To go into um, this space of banning abortions where Black women and Black queer people are experiencing a morbid mortality rate is going to keep increasing because the care for Black women in these medical systems are not changing. And so we're going to see an increase of Black people who are still going to have to have babies without adequate medical care um, from different doctors. And from all of the experiences that we've heard from Serena Williams to Beyonce to our neighbors, it is going to continue to see this rate go up and pregnancy for the Black community will continue to be this scary, dangerous thing until we provide some sort of safety into that. You've described the ruling as something that continues the nation's long legacy of imposing, quote, reproductive oppression on Black people. What do you mean by that? In the legacy of, of slavery, Black women um, specifically were not able to have choice and autonomy. And so it w- continues to tell Black women and Black queer people that they do not have the right to their body or accessing health care in these ways that they need, that the choice in the context is not theirs. And so the oppression of not being able to say what they want and what they desire and have access to it is a continued oppression, that they're continuing to have babies that they don't necessarily want. And in a, leg- in a legacy that holds Black women to being strong, to being responsible, to taking care of everyone else, it is making and continuing Black people and Black women to take care and be responsible of everything else but ourselves. And so we are really just wanting space to give Black women to be carefree. Like, it doesn't matter if you, if Black women want abortions because it's medically necessary or if they just don't want any more children. It's giving them the choice and autonomy to be both carefree or be responsible in do, that way. Do you think that, that uh, Black women and Black patients seeking abortions, are they better off in Colorado given the laws here versus other states? Yeah, that's a really good question and layered question that it's because abortion is protected by REA, the Reproductive Health Equity Act, that the access to it can be easier, quotation marks around easier. But what does it mean when Colorado has housing inflation, gas prices are ridiculous? What does it mean to get here and it not be sustainable or accessible in those ways. And so it's not necessarily easier to get an abortion here or safer to get an abortion here because there's still the process of getting the abortion and interacting with different providers that may not be. I hear you connecting this issue to so many others in Mm -hmm. Colorado uh, that no doubt are a part of the election discussion uh, in these midterms. Uh, and beyond. Talia, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. Nice to meet you. Talia Banks is voting rights coordinator for Denver-based reproductive rights advocacy organization, Soul to Soul Sisters. Before we go, a program note. We'd originally planned to air our interview with Republican Senate candidate Ron Hanks today. That interview will now air Monday. I'm Ryan Warner. This has been a special Colorado Matters from CPR News and KRCC. Thanks for spending time with us.